Chapter 11 of The Mystery of the Woods by W. H. H. Murray. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 11 The trapper, as we have narrated, heard the yell of the outlaws which proclaimed that the Yankee was a prisoner and plunged into the woods. He went but a few rods, for the friendly gloom was his all-sufficient protection, and he was anxious to ascertain the fate of his companion. He even partly retraced his steps that he might the better hear the conversation of his enemies and thereby learn their plans. In a few moments the four outlaws and the gambler, with the Yankee tightly bound in their midst, came up from the beach anxiously looking for the half-breed and the giant, whose absence seemed to them unaccountable. They found them both lying almost side by side and both of them in a dazed condition. The half-breed slowly recovered his senses and explained how he had been dealt with and by whom. For well did he know whose skill had eluded his watchfulness and whose hand had set its grip on his throat. "'John Norton has been here,' he said with a bitter oath. "'He crawled into the heart of the camp here, passing under my very nose, and I did not see him. He has come and gone as if we were boys. He it is that nearly strangled me, and the giant there can tell you the rest.' The monstrous being thus alluded to staggered to his feet, a groan escaping from him as he made the effort and leaning against a tree for support, said, The man is a devil. I had the underhold and yet he broke my back. Colonel, I'm no good after this. Give me a boat and I'll get out of the woods. His spirit was evidently crushed and his rude courage born of a confidence in his immense physical strength broken. Look here said the gambler, and he spoke in a cheerful, encouraging tone. The luck has run against us so far, but the cards show in our favor, and for the first time I feel confidence in the game. Just look at the cards. We've got one, and we'll get the other tomorrow, if we don't get foolish and play wildly. Let's go to the fire and decide what's to be done. Here, two of you stay by the tent, and keep your eyes about you, too. The man is in the brush somewhere, and in earnest. But I'm in earnest, too and John Norton lets us alone after this or he dies. That's all there is about it, if I have to kill him myself. Two of you stay here and shoot at the first sound you hear. The rest, come with me. So saying, he led the way to the center of the camp, whither the others followed, leading the Yankee, whose hands were tightly tied to his side. The counsel that followed was long and earnest. The half-breed and the gambler were for the first time thoroughly united in purpose and the wits of both put in conjunction to accomplish one thing, the capture or destruction of the trapper. It was morning, the sun had risen, but the fog that swore the lake and the lake shore resisted the incoming of his beams. Not until the rising heat had warmed the mountainsides and the currents of air began to move did the fog give evidence of retreat. But then a panic seemed to seize it. The fleecy mass began to heave here and there, and local agitations to occur. For an instant the fleecy field was split, and a lane of narrow width ran clean from shore to shore, showing the blue water and the distant beach. Then the great mass began to roll. The sun here and there shone for an instant through the rising mass of vapor. Gradually he won his way against the obstacles that night had heaved damply upon his path, and the delivered water and the freed shores greeted his coming with ripples and movement of waving boughs. There was a man crouched back of a boulder in the rear of the outlaw's camp who, with eyes that never closed, and with ears strained with intense effort of hearing, 
had, through the hours of the night, waited patiently for the coming of the day. That man was John Norton, the trapper. It was his eye that first saw the new shade of color come to the fog that hung heavily over the lake, his eye noted the first movement amid the mist, and greeted the light with bright and eager anticipation. He was not a man to desert a comrade, and it was evident by the look on his face that if any harm had come to the Yankee, some of the vagabonds, as he mentally expressed it, would have to answer for it. All humor, and his face was capable of expressing infinite humor, all amiable expression, and the sweet peacefulness that had become habitual in the later years to his countenance had departed, and in their place the face showed in the morning light a set and rigid look. The lines were taut around the mouth, and the eyes that looked out from under the heavy eyebrows gleamed hard and cold as steel. One man against seven, one man under cover in a position that commanded the whole camp, unless the occupants lay close, with a rifle in his hand, waiting for the coming light, waiting for a man to show his head. Well did those in the camp know what the light would bring, for the half-breed and the council held in the night had told the gambler that when the sun arose John Norton would have the whole camp within range of his piece, and that to show a head or even a hand would be dangerous. Each man held his place, therefore, armed and ready for fight. The gambler, with a pistol in his hand, the one he had used in his match with the trapper on the beach, stood at the edge of the beach back of a huge pine. The others, each behind his own protection, they crouched or stood according to the necessities of his position. The Yankee was near the center of the camp in plain view to all, his body lashed at the shoulders to a dead tamarack, and his hands tied to the tree likewise. It must be confessed that he presented a laughable spectacle, thus trussed up as it were, his back was toward the lake. Perhaps his enemies had placed him so that he might not see what was going on in the camp. Be that as it may, his face faced the woods and commanded an easy view of John Norton himself as he crouched back of his protecting boulder. Such was the position of the several parties when the sun broke triumphantly through the fog, which, up to that moment, had made objects twenty feet distant invisible. A glance told the trapper the condition of the camp and the position of every one of his enemies. His mind, quick to decide and full of expedients gathered by years of experience in similar emergencies, reached its conclusions in a moment and prompted him to do one of those unexpected and reckless things which, done by any other man, would be his death, but which, done by one like him, must, by the coolest judgment, be pronounced the only way to success. But first he would learn the condition of his captured companion. Boy! he said, speaking in a full, steady tone, easily heard through the camp. Boy, he said, have the vagabonds titched a hair of your head? Not a hair, answered Jim Bean. Every hair, old man, is in the right place, stiff as ever, darned if it ain't. The Yankee had evidently, amid his tribulations, retained both the reckless carelessness of his spirit and the rough humor of his expression. It is well, answered the trapper. It is well that the dogs left you untouched, for if they had heard a hair of your head, their blood would have answered for it. It is years since I felt as I do this morning, and if the vagabonds want lead, lead they can have. Now, boy, do as I tell you, and a man who cares nothing for his life this morning will show you a trick that you'll remember when you be gone from the woods. 
The vagabonds be fools to tie a man of your inches to a tree whose roots the fire is burnt under. The old man paused a moment. He drew his knife, holding its handle in his left hand so that it was little impeded in the use which a rapid shot would demand of it, meditated a moment, glanced at the caps and the tubes of his rifle, and then he said, calling loud and clear, Who be the spokesman of this camp? If there be a man ye sneaks can trust to speak for you, let him make himself known. And then, after a moment's pause, he repeated, Who be the spokesman of this camp? For an instant there was no reply. Then the gambler, from his position behind the pines, some fifty yards distant, directly in front of the trapper, said, I make this deal, old man. If you want to cut, say so. Aye, aye, answered the trapper clearly and sharply. I know your voice. And well it is that two feet of good pine is atween ye and the line of my lead. For ye have consorted with the wicked in their wickedness, and the punishment of the wicked must rest on your head. It is well that you speak for the vagabonds, for ye had a little playfulness with me one day, and ye know that my bullets go quick and go straight. And here I say that I know the position of every one of ye, and my eye takes ye all in. And if one of ye shows your head or enough of your skull to match the width of a bullet, it'll be matched with a bullet. For I have something to do, so keep your heads and your hands out of sight, or ye will lose head or hand. There be seven again one, but the two of the seven that lift from your covers first be dead men. That will leave but five in the chances. What do you propose to do? asked the gambler coolly from behind the pine. This, answered the trapper, and as a word escaped his lips, he leapt the boulder behind which he was crouched and landed lightly as a cat on his feet in full view, knife in hand and rifle at a poise ready to shoot. Now, he yelled, show a head, show a hand, if you dare. The action was so quick, so unexpected, so startlingly bold, the outlaws and the gambler himself were appalled. Their dreaded enemy was on the margin of their camp, and the dreaded rifle had every position under its muzzles. Not an instant did the trapper lose. No sooner had he given the warning than he said to the Yankee who was standing lashed to the tree with his mouth fairly open in astonishment at the trapper's sudden appearance, Boy, bend yourself forward and sought your strength to the roots, as if you was lifting a ton. The Yankee's mouth, as we have said, was open. It closed. The expression which came to his face, that of quickest intelligence, the look of a man who understands the reason of what he has been told to do and is mortified that he had not thought of it before. His feelings were of the strongest kind beyond doubt, for the expression with which he eased himself on them was the most earnest in his vocabulary. He said, I swear! And then, bowing himself forward while the roots cracked at his feet, he put the full force of his body to the effort he was called upon to make. He lifted it slowly, for the roots hung. But liberty was ahead, and an uncertain fate behind him. Every ounce of power that was anywhere lying around the entire length of his ungainly proportions he put into the effort. The cords cut into his wrists until the blood started. But grit to the last he never flinched. The last root finally yielded to the strain that he put upon it, and Jim Bean, with the tree whose top reached twenty feet above his head, stood ready for the next move. The old trapper took a step. One motion of his knife and the cords were severed. The tree fell with a crash and Jim Bean was free. 
Scoop, boy, said the trapper. Use your legs. Head for the boat beyond the big pine, and if anything happens, make for the Sarnax. Not this year, old man. If there's any rustling going on here this morning, Jim Bean's just going to saddle into it. There's a chap that kicked me in the ribs last night just for whistling a little tune, and I want to get my paw on him in a minute. Boy, said the trapper, ye be foolish. Make use of your legs, and show the Lord by your running that ye be grateful for your deliverance. I go when you go, old man, said the Yankee. We came into this camp together, and we go out together. We boss this town meeting between us. And when you say adjourn, we'll adjourn, and not be... The word was drowned in the explosion of the trapper's rifle. While the Yankee had been talking, the muzzle of a dueling pistol had been pushed slowly from behind the pine. The quick eye of the trapper had caught the movement, and before the muzzles had gotten the line, his piece cracked his report out, and a pistol struck square in the muzzle by the bullet was knocked from the hand that held it, twenty feet into the air, and fell muzzle foremost into the sand. "'You've got your lesson,' said the trapper. "'You've got your lesson.' and it'll help you to credit the words that I tell you. There's one bullet left, and if there be one of you that wants to die in the next twenty seconds, let him lift his head from his cover. So saying, the old man backed his way out of the camp until he came to the cover of the trees, behind one of which he glided, the Yankee taking another. Here I be, you vagabonds, shouted the trapper as he drove a bullet into the empty barrel with a single motion of the rod. Here I be! he repeated. One man against seven, and the trees of the Lord for a kiver. Come out and show yourselves and prove yourselves to be better than sneaks. I come to this point for a purpose, and I don't go from this point till I find out ye devilments. Unless the Lord... The sentence was never ended. To the north a rifle cracked. The report cut through the atmosphere like a bullet. The old man flung a hand into the air while his face showed the look of a hound that has suddenly heard the motions of his game. Quick, alert, eager. Had he been chiseled in marble, his posture could not have been steadier, nor his pose more rigidly held. An instant, and then a rifle cracked again, a twin report to the one that had preceded it. The old man dashed the hand that was still suspended in the air to his side, and with a voice whose sound was between a sob and a laugh, exclaimed, Henry! To the boat! To the boat! The boy and a rifle be both in the woods! And then, as if the swiftness of his youth had returned to his frame, the old man with his rifle at a trail and white hair streaming behind him, followed by his companion, who strove vainly to match his velocity, tore wildly toward the boat. Thus, as we have described in a preceding chapter, Henry and the detective sat on the log on the bank overlooking the lake, after Henry had said, when the rifle sounded its report, If John Norton be on the lake alive and unbound, he will be here within an hour. Neither had spoken. The mind of the one was filled with foreboding, the mind of the other with doubt. Their eyes now surveyed the waters, and now ran their glances around the shores, and then were turned searchingly toward the limits of the clearing in which the cabin stood. Thus they were seated, silently watching, Suddenly a boat shot out from the shore, coming into view from behind a projection that stretched outward into the lake, a boat with two men in it, one of them paddling. "'Tis he!' Henry exclaimed in a voice that showed both his excitement and the impressive nature of his feelings. "'Tis he, strong and well! I know his stroke!' And the young man rose to his feet, walked a few steps from the log to the edge of the bank, 
and, with his back to his companion, began to reload his rifle. The detective remained quietly where he was sitting until his companion had returned, and then he said, Mr. Herbert, you seem to love the man. He is my father, was the response. Nothing more was said. The boat drew rapidly on, and as it neared the beach, Henry went down to meet it, his rifle in his hand and his head uncovered. Once the old trapper, while yet some rods from the shore, intermitted his stroke, and, shading his eyes with one hand, gazed fixedly at the figure on the beach. "'The boy looks thin,' he said, and then he resumed his stroke. In a moment the boat touched the beach, and the trapper, with his rifle in his hand, stepped ashore, and the young man and the old one stood face to face. For a moment they looked at each other, with a look with which love notes the changes that distance and time have wrought since its parting. And then the old man extended his hand, and as the younger took it in his own, he said, "'It be pleasant to look upon your face on the earth again, Henry. I trust the Lord has been good to you since we parted. I have had my ups and downs, as all have in life, John Norton, but in the main I have been successful.' Have your friends been true to you, boy? Some have and some haven't, was the answer. Tis the way of the world, Henry, and you mustn't grieve, for some be weak and some be wicked, and atween the two the party thins out as the trail grows long. There be few that live out the trail and come with us to the edge of the great clearing. The young man made no reply, but the look that he gave his aged companion was both reverent and affectionate. After a moment, the old man said, The grave by the sea, under the pine, Henry, is the mound well kept, and is the man we paid to keep it faithful to his word? I saw it last week, answered the young man. The roses were in blossom, and the man had trimmed the grass properly. Tis well, answered the trapper. The lad had a great liking for flowers, and your idea of planting a little tree by the head of the grave was a good un. The living be often ungrateful, but what we do for the dead is never forgotten. Again there was a pause. Have you been to the cabin, Henry? asked the trapper. I have, was the answer. Did the pups know you as you come up the river, boy? I found them by the foot of the pine, answered Herbert. I conceded, yes, I certainly conceded it when I took him to the spot, said the trapper. For their noses be good, and I said to myself, The pups will scent the boy if he comes up the river. What did there be in there tell you, boy? I reasoned that you was in danger, John Norton. Who did you think would disturb me in my ears? Questioned the trapper. I thought of the half-breed you met in fur country some years ago, was the response. You reason rightly, boy, answered the trapper and it be greater credit to you than all your book learning that you can read the signs so as to make sense out of them. Yes, your reasoning was right. The half-breed has come from the north and a gang of vagabonds with him, and they have been in my cabin and I have been in their camp. Who was the man on the log, boy? We will go up the bank and he shall tell you for himself. He was looking for you when I found him here this morning, was the answer, and the two men, followed by the Yankee, mounted the bank and approached the detective. End of chapter 11